Book 2. What Christians Believe Chapter 1. The Rival Conceptions of God I have been asked to tell you what Christians believe, and I am going to begin by telling you one thing that Christians do not need to believe. If you are a Christian, you do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong all through. If you are an atheist, you do have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the whole world is simply one huge mistake. If you are a Christian, you are free to think that all those religions, even the queerest ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. When I was an atheist, I had to try to persuade myself that most of the human race have always been wrong about the question that mattered to them most. When I became a Christian, I was able to take a more liberal view. But, of course, being a Christian does mean thinking that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right and they are wrong. As in arithmetic, there is only one right answer to a sum, and all other answers are wrong. But some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than the others. The first big division of humanity is into the majority, who believe in some kind of god or gods, and the minority who do not. On this point, Christianity lines up with the majority, lines up with the ancient Greeks and Romans, modern savages, Stoics, Platonists, Hindus, Mohammedans, etc., against the modern Western European materialist. Now I go on to the next big division. People who all believe in God can be divided according to the sort of God they believe in. There are two very different ideas on this subject. One of them is the idea that he is beyond good and evil. We humans call one thing good and another thing bad. But according to some people, that is merely our human point of view. These people would say that the wiser you become, the less you would want to call anything good or bad, and the more clearly you would see that everything is good in one way and bad in another, and that nothing could have been different. Consequently, these people think that long before you got anywhere near the divine point of view, the distinction would have disappeared altogether. We call a cancer bad, they would say, because it kills a man but you might just as well call a successful surgeon bad because he kills a cancer. It all depends on the point of view. The other and opposite idea is that God is quite definitely good or righteous, a God who takes sides, who loves love and hates hatred, who wants us to behave in one way and not in another. The first of these views, the one that thinks God beyond good and evil, is called pantheism. It was held by the great Prussian philosopher Hegel and, as far as I can understand them, by the Hindus, the other view is held by Jews, Mohammedans, and Christians. And with this big difference between pantheism and the Christian idea of God, there usually goes another. Pantheists usually believe that God, so to speak, animates the universe as you animate your body. That the universe almost is God, so that if it did not exist, he would not exist either. And anything you find in the universe is a part of God. The Christian idea is quite different. They think God invented and made the universe like a man making a picture or composing a tune. A painter is not a picture, and he does not die if his picture is destroyed. You may say, he's put a lot of himself into it, but you only mean that all its beauty and interest has come out of his head. His skill is not in the picture in the same way that it is in his head or even in his hands. I expect you see how this difference between pantheists and Christians hangs together with the other one. If you do not take the distinction between good and bad very seriously, then it is easy to say that anything you find in this world is a part of God. But, of course, if you think something's really bad and God really good, then you cannot talk like that. 
You must believe that God is separate from the world and that some of the things we see in it are contrary to his will. Confronted with a cancer or a slum, the pantheist can say, If you could only see it from the divine point of view, you would realize that this also is God. The Christian replies, Don't talk damned nonsense. For Christianity is a fighting religion. It thinks God made the world, that space and time, heat and cold, and all the colors and tastes, and all the animals and vegetables are things that God made up out of his head as a man makes up a story. But it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made, and that God insists, and insists very loudly, on our putting them right again. And, of course, that raises a very big question. If a good God made the world, why has it gone wrong? And for many years, I simply refused to listen to the Christian answers to this question, because I kept on feeling, whatever you say, and however clever your arguments are, isn't it much simpler and easier to say that the world was not made by any intelligent power? Aren't all of your arguments simply a complicated attempt to avoid the obvious? But then that threw me back into another difficulty. My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it? A man feels wet when he falls into water, because man is not a water animal. A fish would not feel wet. Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove that God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turns out to be too simple. If the whole universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as, if there were no light in the universe, and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know that it was dark. Dark would be a word without meaning. Chapter 2 The Invasion very well then, atheism is too simple. And I will tell you another view that is also too simple. It is the view I call Christianity and water, the view which simply says there is a good God in heaven and everything is all right, leaving out all the difficult and terrible doctrines about sin and hell and the devil and the redemption. But these are boys' philosophies. It is no good asking for a simple religion. After all, real things are not simple. They look simple, but they are not. The table I am sitting at looks simple, but ask a scientist to tell you what it is really made of, all about the atoms and how the light waves rebound from them and hit my eye and what they do to the optic nerve and what it does to my brain, and, of course, you find what we call seeing a table lands you in mysteries and complications which you can hardly get to the end of. A child saying a child's prayer looks simple, and if you are content to stop there, well and good. But if you are not, and the modern world usually is not, if you want to go on and ask what is really happening then you must be prepared for something difficult. If we ask for something more than simplicity, it is silly then to complain that the something more is not simple. Very often, however, this silly procedure is adopted by people who are not silly, but who, consciously or unconsciously, want to destroy Christianity. Such people put up a version of Christianity suitable for a child of six and make that the object of their attack. 
When you try to explain the Christian doctrine as it is really held by an instructed adult, they then complain that you are making their heads turn round and that it is all too complicated, and that if there really were a God, they are sure he would have made religion simple, because simplicity is so beautiful, etc. You must be on your guard against these people, for they will change their ground every minute and only waste your time. Notice, too, their idea of God making religion simple, as if religion were something God invented and not his statement to us of certain quite unalterable facts about his own nature. Besides being complicated, reality, in my experience, is usually odd. It is not neat, not obvious, not what you expect. For instance, when you have grasped that the Earth and the other planets all go round the Sun, you would naturally expect that all the planets were made to match, all at equal distances from each other, say, or distances that regularly increased, or all the same size, or else getting bigger or smaller as you go further from the Sun. In fact, you find no rhyme or reason, that we can see, about either the sizes or the distances. And some of them have one moon, one has four, one has two, some have none, and one has a ring. Reality, in fact, is usually something you could not have guessed. That is one of the reasons I believe Christianity. It is a religion you could not have guessed. If it offered us just the kind of universe we had always expected, I should feel we were making it up. But, in fact, it is not the sort of thing anyone would have made up. It has just that queer twist about it that real things have. So let us leave behind all these boys' philosophies, these over-simple answers. The problem is not simple, and the answer is not going to be simple either. What is the problem? A universe that contains much that is obviously bad and apparently meaningless, but containing creatures like ourselves who know that it is bad and meaningless. There are only two views that face all the facts. One is the Christian view, that it is a good world that has gone wrong, but still retains the memory of what it ought to have been. The other is the view called dualism. Dualism means the belief that there are two equal and independent powers at the back of everything, one of them good and the other bad, and that this universe is the battlefield in which they fight out an endless war. I personally think that next to Christianity, dualism is the manliest and most sensible creed on the market, but it has a catch in it. The two powers or spirits or gods, the good one and the bad one, are supposed to be quite independent. They both existed from all eternity. Neither of them made the other, neither of them has any more right than the other to call itself God. Each presumably thinks it is good and thinks the other bad. One of them likes hatred and cruelty, the other likes love and mercy, and each backs its own view. Now, what do we mean when we call one of them the good power and the other the bad power? Either we are merely saying that we happen to prefer the one to the other, like preferring beer to cider, or else we are saying that Whatever the two powers think about it, and whichever we humans at the moment happen to like, one of them is actually wrong, actually mistaken, it regarding itself as good. Now, if we mean merely that we happen to prefer the first, then we must give up talking about good and evil at all, for good means what you ought to prefer quite regardless of what you happen to like in any given moment. If being good meant simply joining the side you happen to fancy, for no real reason, then good would not deserve to be called good. So we must mean that one of the two powers is actually wrong, and the other actually right. But the moment you say that, you are putting into the universe a third thing in addition to the two powers, some law or standard or rule of good which one of the powers conforms to and the other fails to conform to. But since the two powers are judged by this standard, then this standard, or the being who made this standard, is farther back and higher up than either of them, and he will be the real god. In fact, what we meant by calling them good and bad turns out to be that one of them is in a right relation to the real ultimate God and the other in a wrong relation to him. The same point can be made in a different way. 
If dualism is true, then the bad power must be a being who likes badness for its own sake. But in reality, we have no experience of anyone liking badness just because it is bad. The nearest we can get to it is in cruelty. But in real life, people are cruel for one of two reasons, either because they are sadists, that is because they have a sexual perversion which makes cruelty a cause of sensual pleasure to them, or else for the sake of something they are going to get out of it, money or power or safety. But pleasure, money, power, and safety are all, as far as they go, good things. The badness consists in pursuing them by the wrong method, or in the wrong way, or too much. I do not mean, of course, that the people who do this are not desperately wicked. I do mean that wickedness, when you examine it, turns out to be the pursuit of some good in the wrong way. You can be good for the mere sake of goodness. You cannot be bad for the mere sake of badness. You can do a kind action when you are not feeling kind and when it gives you no pleasure simply because kindness is right. But no one ever did a cruel action simply because cruelty is wrong, only because cruelty was pleasant or useful to him. In other words, badness cannot succeed even in being bad in the same way in which goodness is good. Goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness. And there must be something good first before it can be spoiled. We called sadism a sexual perversion, but you must first have the idea of a normal sexuality before you can talk of its being perverted. And you can see which is the perversion, because you can explain the perverted from the normal, and cannot explain the normal from the perverted. It follows that this bad power, who is supposed to be on an equal footing with the good power, and to love badness in the same way as the good power loves goodness, is a mere bogey. In order to be bad, he must have good things to want, and then to pursue them in the wrong way. He must have impulses which were originally good, in order to be able to pervert them. But if he is bad, he cannot supply himself either with good things to desire or with good impulses to pervert. He must be getting both from the good power. And if so, then he is not independent. He is part of the good power's world. He was made either by the good power or by some power above them both. Put it more simply still. To be bad, he must exist and have intelligence and will. But existence, intelligence, and will are in themselves good. Therefore, he must be getting them from the good power. Even to be bad, he must borrow or steal from his opponent. And do you now begin to see why Christianity has always said that the devil is a fallen angel? That is not a mere story for the children. It is a real recognition of the fact that evil is a parasite, not an original thing. The powers which enable evil to carry on are powers given it by goodness. All the things which enable a bad man to be effectively bad are in themselves good things. Resolution, cleverness, good looks, existence itself. That is why dualism, in the strict sense, will not work. But I freely admit that real Christianity, as distinct from Christianity and water, goes much nearer to dualism than people think. One of the things that surprised me when I first read the New Testament seriously was that it talked so much about a dark power in the universe, a mighty evil spirit who was held to be the power behind death and disease and sin. The difference is that Christianity thinks this dark power was created by God and was good when he was created and went wrong. Christianity agrees with dualism that this universe is at war, but it does not think this is a war between independent powers. It thinks it is a civil war, a rebellion, and that we are living in a part of the universe occupied by the rebel. Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. When you go to church, you are really listening in to the secret wireless from our friends. That is why the enemy is so anxious to prevent us from going. He does it by playing on our conceit and laziness and intellectual snobbery. 
I know someone will ask me, do you really mean at this time of day to reintroduce our old friend the devil, hoofs and horns and all? Well, what the time of day has to do with it, I do not know, and I am not particular about the hoofs and horns. But in other respects, my answer is, yes, I do. I do not claim to know anything about his personal appearance. If anybody really wants to know him better, I would say to that person, don't worry, if you really want to, you will. Whether you'll like it when you do is another question. <laughs>